This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, uh, we're learning tonight to Fuash Lema to Tamara Dina Bas Kena Shalamis, and also for Fuash Lema to Miriam Chayabas Bracha. Tonight, we are going to um, hopefully try to cover, cover your most important question in life. Um, I know for, for many people, it's who will I marry, but the real most important question in life is what am I doing here? What is the purpose of life? Which uh, I, I heard this um, funny, uh, I guess, a joke from a philosophy. Whoever, whoever, whoever's able to understand Hebrew has got to listen to this. He's, he's an amazing philosophy. Com- uh, yeah, uh, so he goes like this. He says that um, someone once went into a crazy house or thing and tore in a crazy house. For some reason, I have many stories that start like that. Don't ask me why. And uh, they go in and they see they, they classify the craziness by the levels on each one. So they walk into level number one and the, you know, the guy who's taking the tour, you know, is explaining to him and says, over here, we store everybody who is either, you know, thinks he's Mashiach, thinks he's a Leawanavi, thinks he's, you know, thinks he's anything in the spiritual realm. So they go in and they start looking around. Meanwhile, they're standing over there, and suddenly one guy stands on a chair, and he announces, he makes a large, you know, proclamation. He says, listen, guys, I just want to let you know, God came to me last night in my dream, and he told me that I'm the Mashiach. So, one guy gets gets up and starts screaming. He says, what are you kidding me? He says, are you crazy? I said, I never came to you in a dream last night. He says, and you think I, God, will come to somebody in a crazy house in a dream to let them know that there's Mashiach? What are you, crazy? So, uh, they go on, and they hear they, there's some fighting, and they're like, you know what, let's go to the next floor. He goes to the next floor, and uh, he says, this floor there, you see books everywhere. And they're looking, and he says, what's up with, what's, what's up with all these books? So the, so the guy who's giving the tour says, in this floor, everybody who is, uh, everybody thinks he's a writer. And everyone's writing off their own, uh, you know, life story or whatever stories that they have. So the guy who's, uh, who's coming to visit said, did you guys ever look into the books? Did you see maybe it's something good written? And he says, yeah, we check it every once in a while, but they're all, it's all nonsense. He sees one book in the in the far end of the of the room. It's a huge book, bound really nicely. And he says, "That book, you look through it." And the guy was giving to us to listen. To be honest, the book is so big, we we didn't have a chance to you know to look through that. So he walks over and he opens up the front page. And he says on the front page, it begins, you know, very nicely in a nice lettering. So there was once a king and there was once a queen and they had a, you know, they had a, they had a prince and a princess and they lived in this beautiful castle in the mountains. And, uh, the one day the king decided that he's going to want to take a walk. And, you know, the guy who's reading it says, this is pretty legible. This actually makes sense. He says, you know what? Let me flip to the back end of the book. He flips to the back end of the book, opens a book and says, and the king returned from his, his long walk and he, he went and he was welcomed by his loving family and the princess and the, you know, the, the queen and the prince. Everyone came and embraced the king and they, lo- they lived happily ever after. The guy says, now, wow, this was a huge walk. This entire book is just a walk. I'm really curious. I want to know what happened during this entire walk. So he flips it, goes back to the beginning, flips to the second page. And he starts reading. And he walked, 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 and he starts flipping through the pages. All it says in the entire book is, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked. So the Rapasa goes and explains, says, how did people start their life? People start their life, you know, the two main parts is when a baby is born. When a baby is born, what are the two most important questions you ask when a baby is born? Number one is how much does he weigh or she weigh? It's a joke, by the way. I don't know why. And number two is, is not what's the name, is how does he look like? How does he look like? How about what's the gender? Gender, whatever. People don't know that. Fingers, toes. The main thing that I've, that I've seen is how much does the baby weigh? As if, uh, you know, this is some sort of new, like, phenomenon. Is like, you know, everyone's all of a sudden these expert to be like, oh, so what does the baby weigh? You know? <laughs> and the only time you ever go into ounces, that everybody ask you your weight and be like 120.6, 
Right, but the baby is like, oh, the baby's weight. And then the next thing that they ask is, oh, so cute. So who does he look like? First of all, he looks like no one. He looks like an alien because he just came out of, from this traumatizing experience. And, uh, it, you know, if you start saying, oh, he looks like the, the, that's just, you know, pushing down the, you know, the mother, the father, whatever it is. But anyways, those are the two important questions. And then you go, go to the end of the life. And the end of the life, what happens in the end of the life? I say, oh, so what did he live his life? You know, oh, yeah, this guy, he loved cigars. You know, oh, and he loved to play golf. Whatever it is, there are important things in life. This person loved to uh, do gifts.com. What did he do is, uh, unfortunately, very, very common. But we see over here, you see in the beginning and the end, it looks very nice. But what's in the beginning? In the beginning, in the middle, I'm sorry, in the middle, most people, what do they have in life? And they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked and basically did nothing with their life. Just kept on going around. It reminds me, there was once a guy who was uh, driving, and he gets pulled over by a cop. And he's like, listen, you know, it's like a third world country. He's like, I have no time for this. He pulls out a hundred, and he says, give it to the cop, and he says, please let me go. The guy, cop says, go on. He travels another hundred uh, yards, and he gets pulled over again. And he says, you know, he says, right. he pulls out another hundred, gives it to the cop, cop says, go on. A few hundred yards again, he gets pulled over again. He pulls out another hundred, he gives it out. And this happened like five, six times. And he goes over to the cop, at, you know, the six times, he's like, what are you guys getting up on me? He says, I've never got pulled over so many times in my life. The cop said, listen, give me another hundred and I'll tell you how to get out of this roundabout. <laughs> Many people in life are stuck in the same roundabout. They go, keep on going. They go, so, same circle, same circle. It was a delayed response over there. All right. So the same, they go around the same circles in life, not going anywhere in their life. So if you want to know, you know, let's say you're going to um, accomplish something. You want to, you want to, you're taking a test. You want to know what's the goal of the test. You're, let, here, let's put an easy uh, example. You put, you're putting an obstacle course. You want to know what's the goal. Do, is it endurance? Is it how to get the fastest? Is it, is it, what do I need to do? And once you know what the purpose is, then you could go and accomplish a goal. If you don't know what your purpose is in, in life, how can you expect to pass? How can you expect to accomplish? So when you ask people, uh, this is one of my favorite uh, things to ask uh, people, is uh, what do you think your purpose in life is? Or let's generalize it. What do you think the purpose of life is? Like, what do you think you are created here for? So you get the usual examples like, you know, have a family uh, or, um, you know, uh, you know, bring children into the earth, repopulate them, make sure that the earth continues. And then you have things like helping others. And then you have also people that speak about money, which, which I want to just mention one thing. There was a recent study that came out literally a few days ago. It was done by uh, an anti-poverty charity called Oxfam. And uh, they, they did this study and they said anti-poverty charity. Yeah. Oh, anti-charity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they do this study. And in this study, they're, they're searching for... And, oh, this is this is unbelievable. They they saw that sixty two people have as much they own as much wealth as the poorest half of the entire population. So sixty two people equals three point six billion people in 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 terms of in terms of uh, finance and and material worth. Which means is if you think about it like this, besides the fact that the you know it said that the the top one percent owns ninety nine percent of you know the wealth in the world. So if God created the world for money, for materialism. It's failed terribly. It's completely a failed, like nobody, 1%, that's not even a passing grade in no school. Not even, like nothing. It's, it's, it's complete failure. So obviously, like God is perfect. God created the world. That's obviously not the purpose to go in for money and material wealth and gain more. Yet, what, how do people live their life? People live their life 100% chasing the money. They spend eight hours a day sleeping. They spend eight hours a day working. And they spend the rest of the time either wasting their time, watching TV, or, or working more. So, we, if we want to know what is the actual goal in life, we have to, you know, if you want to be... Why, why is the money? Like, what was it in the olden days? Why did they do it? It was always money. Was that like services? Okay. It was always... Everybody... You look, at, look at the world, the way the world works. A majority of people, and I'm talking about majority, I'm talking about 90 plus percent of people, they, all they do in their life, they chase money. 
Am I wrong? Does anybody think this is this is the this is what the even though everybody will agree they want luxury. They want things. They want to make it big. Whatever it is, it is in life that they want. But if you um, if you look at it, that's the main purpose. That's their main thing in life. How do you? First of all, what do you, why is that? You could see that that is the main thing that they do. They're constantly always talking about it. They're always talking about the business and the deals and this and that. And then they're going, you know, and, and it's it's all evolves around one focus, and the focus is money. Yeah, well, you, you could accomplish with art. You could accomplish with many things. But I'm saying, yeah, people like to, you know, they like to brag also about their business deals, whatever it is. So let's look in the Torah. What does the Torah say? What is the purpose of life? You open up the Misilat Yishrim, the Misilat Yishrim actually right in the beginning says, you know what the purpose of life? I'll tell you the purpose of life. Very simply, the purpose of life is to get the greatest pleasure. So if you just stop right there, you'll be like, well, you know, I don't know what we're doing over here. If we need to get, you know, there's some work. I got to go work on fulfilling my purpose in life. It's to get the greatest pleasure. I don't know if it's going to be in these four walls. Maybe yes, maybe not. The, but the, the Ramchal in Misilat Yishrim goes and continues. It says, the, it's the greatest pleasure, which means it's not to get a pleasure, not to just get any pleasure, but rather but rather the greatest pleasure. And he says, how do you get that greatest pleasure? It's not in this world. It's in the next world. And he explains it like, uh, it actually is explained like this. Um, you know, when you think about it, a parent. What does a parent want from their, for, for their child? They want nothing. And if universal answer is, I want my children to be happy. I want my children to, you know, experience the best of life. That is a general uh, consensus idea of what a parent thinks of their child. Now, if the, you know, this could be, this could start off with like a parent giving the child presents and, you know, showering them with gifts and showering them with endless, you know, love and emotion and yada yada, the whole, the whole shebang. Great parents. And, uh, you know, one day that's their 10th birthday and they give them the top of the line uh, gaming console. And the kids love it. It's playing over there. So excited, so happy. And the parents are just so excited, so happy to see their kids so happy. What happens if you fast forward now 35 years later, right? Let's, let's be nice. 25 years later. The guy's now 35 years old. He's still playing the same video games. You think that, and he's so happy. Still the same, so happy. You think the parents are gonna be like, you know, oh, I'm so happy with my 35 year old sitting all day and playing video games. Oh, it brings me so much pleasure. No, why not? Because the parent doesn't want the child, the child to get a pleasure. He wants to get the greatest pleasure. And there's no, so much more pleasure than just sitting and playing video games. You could go and you could build a family. You could start a career. You could do so much that you could do in your life. Don't get stuck playing the, you know, the, the level one uh, pleasure. So, if we think about it like that, we think about it, God, it, we're God's children. And God wants only the best for us. God wants to give us the greatest pleasure. And the problem is, is we get stuck playing the video games, we get stuck playing this, and we, get, we forget about the actual greatest pleasure that actually exists. The question is, why is it in the next world? To explain this, there was once a mashallah parable that there was once a guy that uh, he was a peasant, lived in a shack, and he saved the king's life. So the king decided that he's going to, you know, reward him. Obviously, the king has to reward the guy who saved his life. So he goes and he starts showering him with gifts and gifts. He sends him like wagon loads of gold and silver and everything. Meanwhile, he's packing up his entire little shack with this, with all this gold, and he's like, you know, I, I can't house this. I don't have room for in my shack for this. So uh, he starts sending things back to the king. He says, I'm sorry, I don't have room for this. So the king says, not a problem. I'm inviting you to come to my castle. In my castle, you're going to get a special wing. And there I'm going to give you, continue giving you all those presents, all those, uh, you know, that you deserve. So the same idea, God wants to give us so much. But in this world, we're, 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 we can't, we cannot, there's, there's only so much that we could get in this world. To give you an example, if I say what is the greatest pleasure, then you would have to say the greatest pleasure has to be, first of all, it has to be continuous. I'll give you an example like this. Let's say you're eating a steak and you're buying, you're, this is like a $500 steak. It's delicious. You're like, you flew to like who knows where to just get this steak and you're sitting there, you eat the steak and you take the first bite and you sort of melt to the floor. <laughs> you know, everything starts drooling. And then you take the second bite and you're like, oh, this is so worth it. Even though each bite is another like $25 or depending how big the steak is. So, 
after you after you finally finished the steak, you were like, that was unbelievable. He says, you know what? I came so far, bring another one. They bring another steak. What do you think the second steak already starting to taste like? It's not as good. It's good. It's good, but it's not as good. And the more, the first one, the first bite is the best. And, and it slowly, it's always like that. It's always like that. You, it always get, it always gets worse. Like, you know, bag of potato chips. You eat the first potato chip, it's like, oh, this is so good. And once you're, you're cleaning off that big family size Costco bag and you're like, you feel disgusting and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, I can't believe I did that. This is disgusting. And you can't look at potato chips for at least another hour. And you, you're like, you're, you're so, you're so, you're so, I, we, I have to speak to Americans right? and Big Macs and everything's. So you're, the pleasure in this world goes down. As you continue with the pleasure, it doesn't feel as good anymore. It doesn't taste as good anymore. So in order for our pleasure to be ultimate and to be amazing, it has to not only, has every bite of the steak has to get better and better and better and better and better and better and better. Even more so, in order to have un- the best pleasure, it has to go forever. And this world we know doesn't go forever. So there's two criteria that we can't really fulfill our purpose in this world. God says, listen, I'm going to give you so much, you're not going to be able to house it in this world. I'm going to save it for you in the next world. The next world, there's no time. There's no, there's no limit. I could give you everything. And the next world, you're going to get unlimited amount of pleasure. Such amazing type of pleasure. And that's why the, the, um, the, the reward is actually for the next world. Now, to try to understand this, uh, Rav Dessel explains, so what's this pleasure? Like, what are we talking about? Can we, can we explain this in, in sort of uh, terminology that we can understand? Like, I'm, you know, we're saying pleasure in the next world. Amazing, unbelievable. What does that mean? How, how amazing can it be? So there is, uh, Rav Dessel explains like this. He, he explains that, uh, he goes over a Mishnah Avot that says that one hour of satisfaction in the world to come is better than the entire life in this world. And he explains, he says, imagine, you know, a person lives their life. And a person has pleasurable moments in the life. They have sad moments, they have neutral moments. Imagine you take away all the sad, all the neutral, and you just concentrate just on the pleasure points in life. And then you extract that. I'll take a scientific experiment. You extract all the pleasures that you ever had in your entire life, and you condense it all into one moment. So the time you got married, the time you know you, you know you, you had the baby, the time the babies got married, or whatever it is. You know all all the pleasures that you could possibly ever experience in your life, you condense it to one moment. And then you experience that pleasure in just one moment. Imagine the explosion of a, of a pleasure that, you, that you'll have. Unbe- un- uncomparable. He goes on and he continues. And he says, now you do that to everybody in the same country that you live in. So America, where we are, about 400 something people, 400 million people. You take all the pleasures that they had, not only, you know, in the time, in their entire lives, from zero to 100, whatever, however long they live, the richest people, the poorest people, the regular people, you extract all their pleasures and you condense it into one, you know, sort of minute and you put that into yourself. You experience the pleasure of everybody in one minute. A human can, you'll just explode. You'll, you know, it's like, you know, it's a cartoon. Your, your, your head will just pop off. You can't even experience. And he goes on and continues. He says, now you take everybody that lived in the entire world with seven, six something, six, seven billion people. You take all the pleasures that they ever had from when they're born until when they die. And you condense it all into one pl- into one moment, and you experience that one moment. That still does not even equal one moment in the next world. And then he finishes it with one final point. It says, "Now you take everybody's pleasure from everybody that was ever alive, from the beginning of creation to the end of creation, the entire generation of time, the entire uh, the entire livelihood, the entire everything of everybody, all the pleasures. You condense it into one moment, and you give it that into into yourself. That still does not even equal one pleasure in the world to come." Could you, if you could just experience that, just, just think about how unbelievable crazy that sounds. That means when you get into the next world, it's, it's something that you can't even, uh, you, you can't even comprehend. It's something that we can't even, uh, you know, realize. Now imagine the, the, the amount of regret that a person has in the next world. 
when he goes or she goes and you go up there and you're like, I could have had this and I just didn't make a bracha. I could have had this and I just didn't do this. I didn't pray. I didn't do, well, I didn't. you know how much it's going to, you know how what that suffering is? And then he goes and he explains, you know what, what pleasure we're talking about in the next world? So there's levels in the next world, right? So let's say you're talking about there's seven levels. So he says, you know, when there's a poor person and he's very hungry, hasn't eaten in days, and he walks beyond, you know, past this bakery and the waft, the smell of the bakery just, you know, comes out and, you know, you smell that. For some reason, it always smells better than it tastes. Everyone's like, wow, this smells amazing. You taste it, you'd be like, all right, not worth the calories. Whatever. But you're like, but it smells amazing. You take that smell and, and that's all the pleasure that this person got. Just from that, he didn't want it in by. He took that smell. He says, "This is what the, the the pleasure that we're talking about in the next world. You know, the next world we're talking about the one, the little bit of pleasure in the next world doesn't equal to all the pleasure in this world. That means that you go into the next world. You're not even in the next world. You're just on the outside. You get the whiff, the smell of the next world. That doesn't even equal to all the pleasures in, in, in this world. Which I don't know about you, but that makes that's just that, that sounds crazy. That sounds so crazy that that you're like." This is something that, you know, you realize that, the, you know, it's not something you want to mess around with. It's not something that you want to mess up with. So, I want to share with you this story um, about a guy who decided that his goal in life is going to be to look for pleasure. Not only is he going to look for pleasure, the goal in his life is going to be to get every single pleasure possible that he can experience. So, he grew up religious. His name was Chaim. And uh, when he got it, when he was 18 years old, he's like, he says, you know what? Religion is not for me. Uh, you know, it's too much. Uh, you know, I'm going to focus full, full throttle only on getting the pleasures of life. He goes from one day he became high and the next day he became Charles. And he decided he's going to get the most out of life. He's going to go through every single worldly desire that he could possibly do. So, an 18-year-old. What does an 18-year-old want to do? What's the biggest pleasure they could have? Parties. He wants to go and go so to do some parties. Partying around. So he goes and he, he makes some, some not-so-great friends. And they start partying, and this is their life. Every single night, it's out, out partying, out partying to the early hours in the morning, sleeping the entire day, and then just repeat and rinse. Just you know, repeat that entire cycle again. They go in, and 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 months go by, and uh, you know this this Chaim, this Charles, he's you know he's a bright guy, and he's like, listen, he says, you know, we're having a good time, we're partying, but you know, like. We're, we're, we're missing something. We're doing low-class partying. You know, there's something, we need money. If we have money, then you could go to high-class partying. You know, low-class partying is you have to pregame. You have to, you know, you, you can drink at the place because it's so expensive. Who wants to spend $15 for one shot? So you go in, you, you have these flasks hidden in every corner, and you have straws coming out of the purse, and you have all these things, and you go in there. So he's like, listen, you can't enjoy life like this and drinking the crack vodka over here and trying to, you know, enjoy life. So he says, you know what? We have to make money. And if we want to make money, then we could actually experience the greatest pleasures in life. So he goes and he decides he's going to go and, and aim for getting the greatest pleasures in life. And he goes and he decides he's going to start working. And if he starts working, he's going to start making money. If he starts making money, he could go and, he can go to the high-end clubs. He could go to the high-end places. So he goes and he starts working. And, you know, his buddies, you know, call him up, in, in, you know, one night. And he says, hey, you know, but you want to come out? We're going, we're going out, we're going out partying. And he said, uh, listen, I would love to have to wake up early. He's like, what are you talking about waking up early? Your motto is live life to the fullest. What, you going to work now? You're a nine to five guy? I says, listen, you guys don't understand. He says, no, I'm only doing this so I could get to the next level of party. You gotta think, he says, and you gotta be smart. You know, it's like, you know, the drug addict. He'd be like, you gotta be smart, you know? When the second the guy judges, I says, you gotta, you gotta be smart. All of a sudden, he's giving you life tips. Um, you know, walk away. So he says, you gotta be smart about partying. You can't just settle for the little parties. You gotta go for the big stuff, the high-end stuff. That we, we have to pay a thousand bucks just to get into the place. So he says, don't worry about it. I'm still gonna party, but now on the weekend, I gotta, I gotta focus on making some money. So he goes, 
and he makes some money, and all his money goes 100% to the parties. That's all, he goes, good food, denies himself every, every pleasure possible. And he goes, in, in the weekend, he goes to the best clubs, best places, best parties, and he's really enjoying, he's drinking the good alcohol, he's not drinking any more of the crack stuff that makes him throw up just by smelling it, or drinking nail polish, or whatever it is, remover, whatever it is that he's drinking, <laughs> I should probably add to that. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing, it's probably something about sniffing that also, but who knows. So, with... Anyways, he's going and he is, uh, he's experiencing life. But then he's like, you know what? I'm not happy. No one wants to work for somebody else. I have to work for somebody else. I have to answer to him. I have to make him happy. He says, you know what? If I really, really want to be happy, I got to work for myself. And he starts thinking and he's like, he looks into all these businesses that he can open, but he really, he has zero money because every week he gets his paycheck, goes straight to the parties. So he says, you know what? If I, if I really want to enjoy life, I got to work for myself and make money and then go party. So, after searching and searching for, for a business that he could get into by himself, he realized there's nothing that he could do. And the only thing he's left to doing is getting into the illegal business. So he goes and he decides he's going to get into the drug business. It's a very lucrative uh, business. And he decides he's going to go start, uh, uh, you know, uh, dealing with, uh, with drugs. So obviously morals was not in his uh, vocabulary. And he goes and he starts making a few phone calls to a few of his close friends and says, not a problem, we'll set you up. And they, uh, um, he started off just delivering packages. Delivering packages, which is, by the way, you'd be surprised. How, you know, it's it's a shame what people have, do nowadays. And you know, people have come over to me, and this is what the, this is what they have to do to you know. And I'm like, well, you don't need to do this stuff. You don't understand. People don't understand how not only how dangerous it is, but you're you're killing people. But anyways, he wasn't thinking about that, and he goes and he starts delivering drug packages. Eventually, you know, he's doing a few deliveries a day, and he's making more money in one day than he used to make in a week. And he's like, this is awesome. So he's going, and he starts, he starts, but I'm not going to spend it. I'm going to save it so I could go into my own little thing, uh, you know, thingamajingi with, uh, the, you know, drugs. And he saves his money after, after you know, two, three months, and he decides, that's it, he's not going to do the deliveries anymore. He has enough money. He's going to start dealing. And he buys, he buys, you know, a whole, uh, you know, stock, and he starts stealing. And he starts, but you know, he's enjoying life. Now he doesn't, he could wake up at 12 in the, in the, you know, in the afternoon, and he could go sleep, stay out all night, and he's enjoying life. And he's starting, and, and money's starting to flow in. It's starting to really come in. And you know, it, it's like, it's, it's nonstop coming. So, he, um, after about a year of him making all this money, you're talking about already a whole nother level of partying he went to. He's driving the nice cars, he's going, you know, he's doing all the good drugs now, and none more of the drug, you know, bad drugs. And he is living life to its fullest. But then something started bothering him again. He says, I, you know, he says, I, I can't sleep at night. I'm always looking. I'm always afraid that the cops are going to bust in my room. You know, they're going to get my catch my delivery guy. They're going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get locked up. He says, I can't really enjoy it. And he realized, and he came to the realization that if I really want to enjoy life, I can't always be looking over my shoulder. I have to go something legit. So he decides that uh, his next step in life, to get the real pleasure in life, he's going to start saving his money and going to a legit business. So he doesn't have to look over his shoulder. So his friends call him up, you know, the next day and says, hey, you know, we're, we're going to hit up this club, you know. $2,000 just to get in, door fee, whatever you call that. And it's going to be unbelievable. It's off the hook, right? all the whatever lingo that they, they throw out. And he says, uh, he says, listen, guys, it's going to be, uh, I don't know what that means. I, I've heard that. What is it? It's going to be lit. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that. I, there's many things I don't understand. I, I'm not old by any means away, but I can't. I have to go. There's, I think there's something called an urban dictionary or something where you could do the slang. So I, I don't care enough to look. Bless you. Don't say. So. He goes and he starts saving money. So those guys are like, let's go, we're going to go party. He's like, no, guys, I'm saving my money. He's like, saving your money? You're making like two grand a day. What do you need to save money for? He says, you don't understand. He says, I, I can't live, my, I'm not enjoying life this way. So he stops, he stops going, he stops going hanging out with the friends. He stops spending all the money and they're like, you crazy. You know, you're going to, you want to party or not? You want to live up life to the fullest? He says, you guys don't worry about it. I'll be back really, really soon, full force. But as soon I got to save up money, start my business. And then we're right back to where we started from. So 
He starts saving his money and he decides he gives himself a goal. One year. One year he's going to do this. For one year he saves his money. He's, he's, you know, he's dealing. He's not sleeping. He's stressing. One year comes up and he decides, that's it. He's leaving the drug business. And uh, if anybody knows the drug business, you can't just walk out of it without people starting to ask questions. Like, why is this guy all the time walking away from such good money? So he goes and he goes to one of his friends and says, listen, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I know I'm going to get all these questions. I'm going to deliver it. You want, you can take the entire business. It's all yours. The guy says, you said, for real? He says, yeah, all yours, all your headaches, though. He says, not a problem. So he gives it over, the, the business over, and he goes and he starts, he takes his money and he starts looking for investments opportunities, and he starts looking for things that he could actually open up in business. And, uh, you know, after a short while, he finds something. He finds something, he invests money over here, he invests money over here, he starts, uh, um, he starts opening up his, his business, and now he's working, now he's opening up a business, so that takes a lot of time. So now he's working, you know, through the weekend, through, he's working nonstop. The guys, his friends keep on calling up, hey buddy, what's going on over here? You open up the business, let's party. He says, I can't, I can't right now, you know, I need, I need to, I need to s- settle everything down over here. So the friends are like, you know, I thought you were going to start partying. He says, don't worry about it, guys. I'm going to come in so full force, you're not going to know what's going to hit you. So some months go by, and his, his business goes well, and he's starting to make money. And, um, you know, and then he, he's, uh, you know, he starts partying again, back to the regular life, but, you know, partying with class. And, uh, you know, some time goes by, a few years go by, and he's enjoying life to the fullest, going on the craziest vacations, doing the Dubai thing, doing everything. So... He goes and, uh, you know, his general, his general idea is, you know, he has the one and done rule with the dating. And, uh, he goes and, you know, he, you know, he has, you know, his, his, his friends who are of the opposite gender and he has, you know, the certain, whatever. I don't think I've explained it anymore. And then, and then, you know, there's somebody, you know, that he's seeing for, you know, a month and two months. And the friends are like, yo, dude, what's up with you and this, uh, girl? He says, uh, you, you, you're, you're whipped, you know, you're settled down. Yeah. You're, you're getting locked up, huh? So the guy says, no, listen, you know, I'm enjoying it. We're having a good time. Six months go by, and they're like, yo, you know, what happened? You know, there's more fish in the sea, his friends tell him. So he says, uh, he says, uh, to be honest, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I think I'm in love. And, you know, they all start laughing at him. And, uh, you know, so he's like, he's like, I don't know what to do. This woman's my kryptonite. I can't do anything. So they said, you don't want to experience the greatest pleasures in life. You're going to be stuck with, a, you know, with one woman the whole time. So he said, listen, you guys don't understand what love is. You know, you, I was always chasing pleasure, but now that you feel the taste of love, there's nothing like it. Your whole day is brighter. You're able to share your life with somebody else. It's so unbelievable. All the f- physical pleasures that I ever went through came nothing close to the emotional uh, pleasure that, 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 we, that has with love. So... Um, meanwhile, he's dating this girl, and, you know, a year goes by, two years go by, they're having a great time, they're doing vacations together, and they're partying together, everything is great. And then suddenly, you know, the girls ask a question that girls like to ask. There you go. (laughs) So, what are we? You know, so where, where are we going to be? Where are, what, what's going to be with us? And, you know, guys answer like guys, be like, what what do you mean? You want to move? What's, What's wrong with where we are? And then she's like, no, you know, like, you know, we've been dating for two years, and, you know, are we going to, you move this to the next level? And he's like, what's the next level? So, she's like, yeah, well, you know, and he's like, he's like, I think we're, we're, we're good where we are now, aren't we? We're having a good time, we're partying, we're that. And then she gets serious. She's like, listen, he says, you know, I'm getting older. He says, I can't wait around for you forever. He says, I'll give you a week to get an answer. And she leaves, gives him an ultimatum. So, he thinks about it, he calls up his guys, says, guys, we've got to go out, you know, I don't know what to do. So the guys are telling him, say, ah, leave that one, there's so much more out there, you make good money now, you'll be able to get whatever you want. And he's thinking about it for a day or two, and he's like, I can't, I can't live my life without her. And he calls her up and says, I've made my decision, I want to take you out to eat. I want to talk it over. So he goes, and he, meanwhile, he surprises her, he goes to the most expensive restaurant, and he makes the whole thing. On that date, he actually proposes to her. 
He actually proposed to her on the day. He says, listen, I can't live my life without you. I tried. I thought I could. I spent three days and I can't. He says, I need you in my life. No matter what you say, I'm there. So she's like, oh, you know, so nice. You know, put the ring on the finger. It's beautiful. Everything's amazing. Sparks, butterflies, whatever it is that's going on. And the wedding goes off amazing. They have an amazing, you know, every, everything is, is great. Year goes by after their marriage. And she's like, she calls him up. She's like, honey, uh, we need to talk. I was like, oh man, what do I do? You know, he starts rapping through it. That's another thing that guys never like hearing. We need to talk. Those, uh, so she, they come in, he comes into the house and he says, um, and she goes and she says, you know, they sit down and she says, you know, um, my biological clock is ticking. So he's like, I, I'm not sure I understand. I don't know what that means. And, and she's like, you know, as a woman gets older and, and, and she goes and basically she spends it. She says, you know, like, you know, have you ever thought about children? So he's like, I've thought about them. Uh, what about them? He's like, she's about, what about having some? And she's, he's like, listen, babe, come on. You know, we, you know my motto, live life to the fullest. How, we can't go to Dubai with a little two-year-old, a little baby running around. He says, you want to leave? We, 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 are, we go sailing, we go parasailing, we go parachute. We do everything. We're going to be stuck down with the, with the you know, we want to live life to the fullest. We want to get the full pleasure of life. So she goes, she's a very smart woman. She says, listen, you yourself said that there was no greater pleasure than emotional pleasure. You told me that yourself when you proposed to me. So she, he's like, yeah. He says, imagine the pleasure that you'll have of having a little child. And he's thinking about it. And he says, you know what? Maybe you're right. He says, I'm really, I'm on the search for the greatest pleasure. Maybe that is the greatest pleasure. And he says, fine, you know what? How's that go bowl? So let's try. And a year later, she's in the delivery room. She's screaming. She's screaming at him. He's saying, I didn't do anything. I don't know what I'm doing. He's asking the doctor for medication. You know, the whole shebang, right? For himself, not for her. And uh, then he goes and, and uh, finally, the, the comes out comes out this beautiful little baby girl. And the nurse grabs, a, you know, the baby. They clean them up. And the nurse goes over to, the, to, to him, to, to Charles, and she says, uh, you want to hold the baby? And he's like, I could hold, I could hold it? And she's like, yeah, it's yours. You know, do whatever you want. I mean, you know, be careful, but yeah, hold it. So he's like, he's like, oh man. And he takes the baby and he start, and he's shaking and he's like, I, I need to sit down. And he takes this little bundle of joy and he sits down and he looks at the babies and, the, and this little girl in her, in her eyes. And he's, and he starts speaking to her and he says, you know, daddy loved to go for every single pleasure that he had his entire life. Daddy only thought about himself. And he looks at this little girl and he says, but now, he says, now, and his tears start, his eyes start swelling with tears. He says, now, he says, now you're, you're daddy's pleasure. You're going to be daddy's greatest joy. And no matter what happens, you're going to be my number one. I am no more going to be my own number one. And he goes and he plants a little kiss on her forehead. And then he turns to his wife and with a smile and he, she, and he says, you're right. This is the greatest pleasure. And the nurse says, you know, hold up. You know, you didn't wake up at night for him yet. <laughs> so, meanwhile, he goes, uh, it was funny because I remember this comedian. This comedian goes and he says, like, you know, having kids is so hard. He says, it's so hard to keep on waking up every night at 3 a.m. just to wake up my wife so she could go feed him. It's like, I'm so tired already. So, so, so he goes and he falls in love. He found his new love in life. And that's his little baby girl. And they just, they have such a strong bond that, you know, the father and the daughter, such an amazing connection. And he always tells her, you know, you'll always be daddy's little girl. You're always going to be my little, my little angel. And, uh, you know, he showers her with love, with gifts, with everything that possibly money could buy, it's, you know, it, she gets. And they have the closest relationship that a father and daughter could possibly have. Fifteen years go by, and it's amazing. They're going on vacations together, and they're treating, you know, they're showing her all the greatest gifts in life, all the greatest pleasures that he ever experienced. And then finally, um, you know, uh, 15 years go by, she's 15 years old, and she's, she starts having headaches. And then she starts vomiting, she starts throwing up, and she's like, you know, you know, is everything okay? She's like, you know, I'm not feeling so well. 
So they bring her to the doctor. The doctor says, oh, you know, it's probably just a virus. She probably ate something. So they bring her back home, but her fever starts running up again, and she starts throwing up more, and she starts complaining of massive headaches, migraines. So they bring her back to the doctor two weeks later. And the doctor says, you know what? Let's run some tests. Who knows what it is? So they start running some tests, and they get some more tests. And it's like, you know, we have to run a little bit more tests. And then, you know, the, the father's like, What's going on? What's with all these tests? And like, listen, we don't know anything yet. Let's, we're just running a few more tests. Uh, they run a few more tests and said, listen, we'll call you tomorrow. So they, um, they say fine. And the parents go home. Meanwhile, they're nervous. Like, what's with these tests? And they get a phone call tomorrow, uh, the next day. And the father answers the phone and the doctor's there and he says, uh, you know, the results came in and the father's like, yeah, yeah. And, and he says, uh, can you, can you come in uh, right away? And he says, uh, can you, can you tell me what's going on? Is everything okay? He says, listen, we don't like to discuss things over the phone. Uh, you know, please, if you and your wife could come, you know, could come in. Meanwhile, you know, they started shaking. Both the, hus- the, the husband and wife started shaking. They're like, they could, they're, what's going on over here? They, they drop everything. They go straight to the hospital. They get to the hospital. They sit in the doctor's office. The doctor walks in and he sits down and he says, uh, he looks at the parents and he says, listen, there's no easy way for me to tell you, uh, to tell you this. And they're like, just, just please, just, just spill it. What, what, what's going on? And he says, um, you know, we ran some tests and um, we found that, you know, she, she has cancer. And, he, and he's like, and they both, they both start crying right away on the spot, tears. The father was bawling like a baby. And uh, so, so the father says, okay, so, so let's start chemo, let's start radiation. Well, you know, well, let's start the treatments. And the, so the doctor says, you know, that's the other thing that I need to speak to you about. And there's no easy way for, for a doctor to tell us to anybody, let alone a parent. But... Um, it's it's too far. There's, so the father's like, "What do you mean it's too far?" So what do you mean? There's so many options. There's chemo. There's radiation. You know, we'll go anywhere. We'll, well, let's just start the treatment. And the the doctor says, "You don't understand. It's stage four. It's spread everywhere. There's there's nothing. Anything that we're going to do to her now is just going to harm her more, and it's just going to cause her more pain. It's best that we just leave it and let her enjoy the the remaining time." And they just the the, the father just broke down. Couldn't even speak anymore. So the mother goes and says, uh, "says You know, can we at least try?" He says, what, what does it mean? There's no, you know, so the doctor says, listen, it says, with, from the, from my medical expertise, I give it six months. And the father says, what, what, what do you mean six months? And, you know, the doctor says, I'll let you guys discuss it. And he walks, and he walks out. And, uh, this, at this point, the, the, you know, the parents just broke it. They just, this is the joy of their life. The father gave everything to this daughter. He gave everything. This was his greatest pleasure. And, uh, he decides, he says, you know what? I'm not gonna trust this doctor. No. I have plenty of money. He goes and he starts flying in her everywhere to the top doctors in, in her in, in the thing. Goes from doctor to doctor, from place to place, one month nonstop. Every single doctor gives them the same thing. Says, "Listen, you know, uh, Mr. Charles, we would love, we really would love to help you. It, you know, it's not, it's not about the money. It's not about anything. There's nothing that we could do at this point, at this point in life." So he keeps on. He begs them. He calls the great, the, the biggest, the biggest oncologist in the entire world, the most famous one, and he cries and says, "Please, I am begging you, no matter the cost, save my little child, save my daughter." And the, the oncologist re- reads the result and says, "You know, with, I would love to. I really would. I would do anything that I can to save her. But there's nothing in the medical, in our medical expertise that we could do for this at this point." So, they both go home, all three of them, and um, they're sitting there, and there's nothing for them to do. That's it. They're like, the father says, what? So I'm just going to wait for my little girl to just die? And he's like, not on my watch. So he goes, and he starts thinking what he's going to do. So what happens when you have no other options? Usually that's when you turn to God. There's no atheist in the foxhole. And he says, you know what? He says, um, he starts making his phone calls to a few of his religious friends, and he says, who is the greatest rabbi in the entire world? They're like, oh, that's a tough question. There's many great rabbis. You go to Israel, there's a, there's a bunch of them. So he keeps on calling, and they keep on you know, sending him to, to one particular rabbi. So he says, you know what? We're going to get a blessing. No matter the cost, he thinks everything is money. He has money. People think with money, he can buy anything. 
He says, no matter the cost, we're going to buy you this blessing. We're going to get you, we're going to get you better. He tells his daughter, don't worry about it. Daddy's going to take care of you. And he goes, and they take the next flight out to Israel. And they fly out to Israel. He arranges it that he's going to meet with the, you know, with the, with the top, top rabbi, the best rabbi, the holiest rabbi, the biggest cabalist, everybody. He, he had a whole list of things. The second that they land in Israel, they take a cab straight to the rabbi. Didn't waste any time. They sit in front of the rabbi, and uh, he, he just opens up to the entire rabbi, tells him everything from A to Z, from his whole life story, everything. And he says, please, rabbi, bless my child. I'm begging you. There's nothing that I can do. Please bring me back my child. So the rabbi goes and he says, he says, listen, you know, I, you know, it's only all in God's hands, um, you know, but what I can tell you is pray. Pray, you know, pray as much. Pray could change the world, can move worlds of prayers. So he goes and he says, he says, yeah, but give me more, rabbi. I, I can't, I, I, I've been praying. I know praying. So the rabbi says, listen, I could tell you, I'll give you one advice uh, that you should do. And he says, anything, I'll do anything. He says, um, become 100% back to, go back to your roots, where you came from. 100% religious. So the guy thinks for a moment, and he thinks what he's giving up. His entire life is going to have to change. And he thinks, and he says, and he says, will you promise me, if I become 100% religious, that my daughter's going to get better? So the rabbi says, I can't make any promises. But I'm, you know, that she's going to get better. But I'll make you this promise, is that if you do that, you and your entire family, you'll see a salvation. And he says, I will continue praying for you, you will continue praying for you, and you do what you need to do, and, and God will take care of the rest. So the guy says, says, you got it. He says, no problem. He says, from this day on, we are 100% religious. And uh, he goes, and he leaves with, with new hope, new hope from, from this rabbi. And he goes over to, to his wife, and he says, you know, the little girl, they named her Rachel. One of the reasons they named her Rachel was because when he was religious in Yeshiva, the story of Rachel Imenu, the story of Mama Rachel, the story of, of, of Yaakov's wife Rachel, always screamed out to him. He always felt that he says, you know what, we got to name her. Even though he wasn't religious at all, he wanted to name her Rachel. So he named her, and they called her Rachel. And he says, listen, we're here already. Let's go, let's go pray, to, pray at, her, at, her, at a gravesite. So they go, and they take a next cab. They go straight to the, straight to the, to the Keva Rachel. And he goes into Keva Rachel, and he sits over there. The, the, the wife and the daughter goes into the woman's side. He goes into the men's side. He picks up a tehillim and he goes stands next to the grave. And he's going into the grave and he opens up this tehillim, something that he didn't open up with nothing, nothing Judaism in the past 30 years. He starts opening up this tehillim and he slowly starts reading. He remembers back in his old day how to read Hebrew and he slowly comes back to him. And as he finishes the first page, he can't see anymore because the entire page of tehillim was flooded with tears. He couldn't even see anymore. So he closed the tehillim and he put his hand, you know, on the grave and he put his head down on the grave and he started talking to God. And he says, God, Listen, he says, you know, we both know I'm not the greatest guy spiritually. I had, in fact, I had no intention of ever becoming religious. And he says, I have, I have but one request. I'll do everything. He says, I'm not going to be just a regular. I'm going to be 100% religious. I'm not going to do any baby steps. I'm going to go from zero to 100. And within, within, by, by the end of the day today, I am 100% religious. But I'm asking you, God, you know I'm doing this for my little girl. He says, please, please, please save my little girl. So he goes and he starts just crying. And he's crying and he's crying. And he's saying a few more tithing. And then finally... He goes and he and he goes and he speaks. He says, "Mama Rachel." He says, "You know." He says, "I heard so much about you in yeshiva. I heard all your amazing stories, and you, you, because of you, is 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 why I named my child Rachel." He says, "I'm begging you, please pray to God on my behalf. Please, I'm begging of you, Mama Rachel, pray as a mother prays for her child." And gives a kiss over there, and he leaves. He goes, and uh, they get back to America. They changed their life 180 degrees within 24 hours. The entire house was kosher. They called in a rabbi. They says, make everything kosher. Throw out all the plates, throw out everything. We are 100% kosher. They bought a bookshelf and they bought, filled it up with books on how to live a kosher life. Everything for 180 degrees. And, uh, 
They go and he finds his tefillin. He finds his tefillin that he hasn't put on in 30 years. He takes it, wipes off the dust, and he puts it on for the first time in 30 years. And he puts it on. As he puts it on, he feels that something else in his tefillin bag. And he takes it out. It's a small tefillin. It's a small tefillin that his grandmother gave over to him. And the grandmother says, here, take this tefillin. It took me, it, it worked me so well throughout the years. Use this tefillin. It will bring you the, break, the, the greatest salvation. And he's like, wow, this, you know, this obviously. So he puts on his tefillin and he starts reading tefillin again. And he starts, every, just, it just opens up to God. And he says, and he just crying, God, please, 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 nonstop. Eventually, he finishes, he takes off his tefillin. And he starts arranging how his day is going to be. He says, you know what? Three, three times a day, I'm going to Minyan. Non-stop, no, learning to ah, I'm putting the business in somebody else's hands. I am do, devoting this. I have six months, three months, whatever it is, five months at this point in time. Everything is going to be 100% for God. I'm going to give it all I got. And he goes and he, he starts going to, to the shul. Every, ta- every prayer that he prays is a prayer like someone's about to die. He just cries and cries and cries. People are like, well, who this tzaddik? Look at this guy. So some Kabbalist, like how he can put so much emotion into tefillah. Every single prayer is flooded with tears, and uh, you know, and and then you know he starts um, he starts thinking this is going on for two weeks, and then he's like he's like you know what I'm religious, but I never did tshuva. I never you know I did so many sins. So he decides he's going to go through the whole tshuva process. He goes and he starts he starts thinking he says he starts regretting everything and he starts confessing it to God, and then he says and then he says you know what and then he came to the third part of the tshuva. And it was just too hard for him. He couldn't say anything. The third part of the tshuva was, you know, not doing it anymore. And he's starting to think, he says, what happens if God's not going to listen to me? What happens if God's going to take my little precious angel away from me? He says, am I able to never to say that I'll never sin again? And he thinks, and he says, he goes to God and he says, God, he says, I'll give it to you. He says, I don't know what's going to be. He says, but I promise you. And I'm showing you my sincerity is that I will never sin again. I will, I am changing regardless of whatever's going to happen with my little girl. You know that I'm going to be 100% religious to the end of days. He says, but please take that into consideration. Please bring me back my little girl. And he starts this, he starts this, this, he has this constant talking with Hashem, this constant conversation. He sees his little girl. He sees that he's, you know, she's weak and she's sick. He's overflowed with emotion. He runs to his study, closes the door, opens up his little tea leaf, and he starts crying and praying and talking to God. And he has conversations with God. And his wife thinks he's, like, you know, he's like literally talking like someone's in the room. And he's like, God, listen, you know, I had a tough day today, but I'm really trying and this and that and that. He's like talking to God. Fine. Time goes by, and uh, two months go by, and they decide they're going to bring her back for more checkup. So they go in, and um, the doctor says, I don't, listen, you know, I, I, I don't know why you can bring her a hand. There's nothing that we can do. And the, the guy says, do me a favor. I'm religious now. The guy's like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. He says, just check it. And he says, fine, you know, all right, whatever. You know, he runs the same test. He, the doctor says, listen, the same situation. I don't know what you're expecting about the, you know, that it's changing. It's the same exact thing. Nothing has changed. So the guy doesn't, it's not the discouraged. Charles is not discouraged. He's like, he's like, I'm going to just up my game. And he goes and he full force even more. And he goes and, and he, he, uh, um, he, starts, he starts upping everything, everything, everything. He's talking to God. Another month goes by. She's five months in from when the doctor gave her six months to live. And he goes to the, do- and he goes to the, um, to the doctor and he brings her again. And the guy says, you know, he, says, he goes, he's like, you know, Mr. Charles, with all due respect, there's nothing that we could do. You know, you're just hurting yourself coming in. The guy says, please, do me a favor, just run some tests. So he goes and he, the doctor runs some tests and he goes over to the, you know, after the test to the, to the father. And he says, and he's like shaking his head. He's like, you know, uh, you know, it, listen, I don't want to get your hopes up. Nothing has changed, but uh, these results are exactly the same results as we did two months ago, which, you know, according to the calculation of medicine, it should, you know, get worse and worse. And, and I don't know why it hasn't gotten worse yet, but, um, you know, it, that hasn't gotten better, but it stayed the same. And there he's like, there's my hope. There it is. And he goes and he ups it more and he's doing more and he's doing chesed. He's doing it. He's doing everything. He's turning the world for his little girl. 
And, uh, you know, six months come, six months go by. Eight months come, and he goes back to the doctor. It says, eight months, she's still here. So the doctor runs a test, and they're shocked. They're like, you know, I, I don't know, we can't explain it, but, um, you know, the cancer is still there full th- force, but it's, it's less than we did our last test. And, you know, and they keep on running this test. After every few months, they come in, and this cancer slowly, slowly getting sh- sh- smaller and smaller. Finally, 24 months pass since the doctor gave her six months to live and the doctor the you know the doctor they run the test and the doctor says i can't explain it i don't know what you did uh but we can begin starting to do chemo there there's actually a chance that we could actually do any something with chemo with this and the doc and they, they're like excellent and they, they're doing chemo they're running chemo and the, the guy the, you know the father goes over you know he goes into his room and he has a conversation with god and he says god please i am begging you make my daughter have be healed i mean 100 percent of you are going to get a wedding, a wedding hall of Sudato Daya. I think, I think, a Sudat of thank you. And within a few months, somehow, miraculously, she made a full recovery. And he made, he took, he did as he promised. He rented a wedding hall. He went to rent a wedding hall and he made, he packed it up, did it saying thank you to God, he invited all the poor people, everybody, and they made speeches and made a invited everybody. Two years later, he had to book the same wedding hall because his daughter now got engaged to a nice yeshiva boy. And he goes, and that day of the, on the wedding, he goes into his room, and he takes out his little trusty tilim, and he starts crying. And he starts crying and crying. But this time, it's not tears of begging. It's not tears of sadness. It's tears of thank you. It's tears of joy. And he's like, thank you so much, God. Thank you so much for everything. I know everything is from you. And, uh, uh, and it's amazing, you know, she gets married, and they're sitting in Kola, and he's supporting them, and they're having children, and children, and then, and then his grandchildren. As time goes by, he lives the most amazing life. He became, from, from Charles, he became Chaim, from Chaim became Rabbi Chaim. He's sitting, at the end of his days, he's sitting in the hospital room, and, you know, it's, it's coming very soon that he's going to meet his maker. And I, he, he feels like the time is coming up. And uh, he goes, he calls the nurse and says, could I have a, a pen and paper, please? And the nurse, not a problem, gives her a pen and paper. And nobody was with him. And he sits down and he writes, his, his last will and testament was given ready, but he wanted to write a personal note to his daughter, to his little joy in life, Rachel. So I want to read to you what he wrote. And he starts writing like this. I'll read for you word for word. My dear Rachel, I will keep this brief as I don't have much time left. As you know, my life was chasing the greatest pleasures. In fact, that was my life's motto. I have done all the parties, all the drugs, I've searched every pleasure, and I've left no rock unturned. And then he said, you came into my life, and I saw how meaningless all my pleasures have been. You are the greatest pleasure of my life. And then came a time where I almost lost you. I gave up every single pleasure to try to keep you. And I thought I was giving up all the pleasure in life, and guess what? It was worth it for you. But then I discovered my little Tehillim, and I got my, that I got from my grandmother, it was there in the bad and it was there in the good. But for the, mo- but the moments that I was in my study, reading the Tehillim, crying to Hashem and talking to God, I knew that Hashem was listening and taking, and taking everything that I say into consideration. And he says, take it from me, who has tried every single pleasure that, light, that the world has to offer. There is no greater pleasure than that. There is no greater pleasure than feeling connected to the Almighty. There is no greater pleasure than when you're talking, you're seeing that someone else is there and they're watching over you. And he says, my dear Rachel, I am leaving you my greatest, my greatest possession in the whole world, my Tehillim. Please use it, and you too will find the greatest pleasure in it. Signed, your loving father, P.S. You will always be my little girl. And with that, he returned his soul to his creator. 
This person searched through every single pleasure in life. And guess what he came up with? He came up with something that Judaism was saying all along. He says, you know where the greatest pleasure? We spoke about in the first half of the, of the, of the class about what the pleasures in the next world. But guess what? You could have the greatest pleasure in this world. And the greatest pleasure in this world is having that connection with God. Is having that thing that you know that someone's always watching over you. I just want to know if the story is true. It's based on a true story. So, um, it's... Now let's try to understand how we started off the class. We start off the class with, you know how to get to the next world? With mitzvot. Mitzvot. Learning, doing to all mitzvot. Now when we think of mitzvot, mitzvot are commandments. Mitzvot, you know, you think about it like this. Every relationship comes with commandments. Uh, which means is, is the, that, uh, you know, you get married, you have certain, uh, let's call it obligations. Another word of commandments. The greater the relationship, the greater the commandments or the obligations are. Now imagine some guy, he's hanging out with the guys, and you know, his wife is always calling him, nagging him, and he's, he's like, you know what, and he keeps on complaining to the guy, he says, this woman, she's driving me crazy, all that, la, 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 yeah, non-stop, I can't, I can't, I wish you would give me some space already. And, uh, and, and finally, you know, a few months go by, and the boys are, you know, making a trip, they go, they're going away, and he calls, um, you know, he asks his wife, is it okay, you know, get permission from the, you know, the mothership, you know, is it okay, could I, uh, could I please go to, uh, with my guys, and she's like, okay, and he calls up, he's like, guys, I got permission, we go, you know, and, uh, you know, I have a note signed from my, yeah, you know, um, he goes, and, and he's, he's, they're going on this trip, just a few days. They're sitting, they're going on this trip, they're having a blast. Meanwhile, one of the guys is on is online, and they found this crazy deal. Not too far, they go on this crazy cruise or this for like a joke of a price. And they're like each calling their wives, you know, getting the permission. And everyone's getting permission. Finally, this guy, you know, whose wife is like, ah, you know, he calls up and he says, uh, and he says, you know, listen, you know, the guys are, are extending the trip. Is it okay if I extend it? And she's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Um... He's like, is this a trap? He's like, I can go? And she's like, yeah, yeah, go. And he's like, it, it might be a few days. She's like, all right. It, it might even be a week. You know, he's just trying to test it. She's like, all right. He's like, it might even be two weeks. And she's like, listen, you know, go for as long as you want and come home. And he's like, he's like, why doesn't you want me home? He says, uh, he says uh, you don't want me to come home? And she's like, you know, now he's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, the women are smart. So <laughs> he goes, she goes and says, listen, you want to come home? Come home. You don't want to come home? Don't come home. You know, I'll be here. And he's like, okay. Okay, thanks. And he, and he hangs up the phone. And do you think he's going to go to his, his buddies like, dude, my wife is awesome. He's, no, he's thinking, he's like, he's like, is there another guy? He's like, what's going on? Why does she want me home? And he's entire mind. He's like thinking, what's going on over here? You know why? Because the relationship comes with obligations. You have to be there for the other person. That's part of the obligation. That's part of the relationship. This is why... You know, when you, um, if you have someone that's really close to you and they hurt you, it hurts so much more than if some random guy hurts you or a random girl hurts you. Why? Because I don't really care about the other person, but I expect more from you. If you are closer to me, then I expect more from you. That is the idea of, 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 of obligations. The same idea is if you think about it in mitzvot. Mitzvot are commandments, are obligations. We, the Jews, have 613 obligations. The non-Jews have seven obligations. Why do we have more? Not fear. Why do we get more? And the answer is because our relationship is closer. We have more obligations because our relationship to God is so much closer. The idea is, is uh, when you look at uh, when you look at the, the obligations in the Torah, you look at it in general. Let's speak about it in a um, in a relationship sense. There is um, there is obligations and there's rights. Rabbi Akiva Tatz explains it this way. He says um, everybody has um, explained. Let's use a real estate example. I have a right to my own property. You have an obligation not to infringe on my right. 
Make sense? Let's think of it as, as a, uh, in a marriage situation. I have, you know, the obligation to do whatever for my wife, and my wife has the obligation, let's just say whatever. I have the obligation to support, she has the obligation, let's just say to clean, watch kids, whatever it is, any, any two way that you do it. Not that that has to be that way, bad, bad thing, but the same idea. So, the, it really depends how good the relationship is, is what your focus in life is. If your focus is in my rights, what are you going to give to me, and I'm gonna make sure my rights are gonna be stand, are gonna be stood up, then your relationship is not a good relationship. Your relationship is like a give and take. It's like a partnership. But if your relationship is only about your obligations, what? forget about what she has to do with me or what he has to do with me. What can I do for him? What can I do for her? If you think that way, you're, that's marital. That's amazing. That you can have the best relationship possible. When you focus on your obligations in life versus when you focus on your rights. The Torah, if you look at the Torah, every mitzvah, every, uh, everything that we have doesn't focus on our rights. It focuses on our obligation. Do not murder. Do not steal. It doesn't say you have a right tonight, you know, to, to get that. Our, the Torah's focus is on your obligations. You want to know why? Because you know what love is? Love is ahava. Ahava comes from the source of hav, to give. The greatest relationship, the greatest thing ever possible that, the, that a person could have is a, is a parent to a child. You know why? Because a parent constantly gives to the child. It gives and gives and gives and gives, and then when it finishes giving, it gives more. And the, the, the relationship is so strong because the parent always doing for the child. The idea is, is that God says, you're going to be doing obligations. You're going to be doing mitzvot. You know what that is? You're going to constantly give. And that's going to make us have the strongest relationship possible. And this is the idea beyond uh, um, with, with, with the Torah. He says, you want to know how to get into the next world? He says, forget about even the next world. I'm going to give you an awesome life in this world. Follow the Torah. Follow me. So you go to have an unbelievable, amazing life. Now, there's something that I, want to, that I want to discuss about this, is that if you think about it, animals are created with instinct. Right, they're going, and people think seem to think that they could train the animals, and they're not going to based on their instinct. Which, yes, sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. There was a guy I don't know if you remember the story happened a few years ago in the Bronx. He decided he's going to raise a tiger in his bathtub, um, and in his bathtub he was like it, it was he was like in an apartment building. I don't know how he got a tiger in there, but he had a tiger in there, and it was like his pet tiger, you know, selfies with the tiger, you know, like you know, you know, my little baby, you know, and there's But then one day, guess what? The tiger got hungry, and there was no food, and his master was his food. Oh, what happened? You don't want to know why. It's not because the tiger is evil. It's instinct. When it gets hungry, it eats. Your food, he's going to eat you. No, no, you know, no, no offense taken. It's just, I'm hungry. That's the way that it works. And you know what? In the animal world, it makes perfect sense. There's instincts, and when you have instincts, it's, it's, it's survival. But there's one instinct that makes absolutely no sense, and that is a human. There's something in the human uh, um, you know, DNA, if you may, is that humans are never satisfied. The, the Chazal say this, that if somebody has 100, he wants 200. If he has 200, he wants 400. I'll tell, I say this all the time. Let's say somebody, wants, he's, like, he's like, you know what? If I have $10 million, I'll be happy. I'm like, no, you won't. He says, once you have $10 million, you're like, I, I can make $20 million. You know? He says, if I buy real estate, well, I'm just going to sit and do nothing. And once you get $20 million, you would be like, I could do 40. And, you th- and you're always, imagine, imagine the, the, you're eating at this amazing restaurant, and you had this delicious, we're on steak already, so let's just eat, we're eating steak again. Right, you're eating the steak again. You're having this, this steak, and it's, it's so amazing, and you finish it. A normal human thing, not so normal, but if you think about it, so it's humans do think of that, they want nothing more than to be not full so they can eat more. And that, like, why? The whole purpose is that you should be able to survive. Really, if we would be on, on, on survival, it should be like three peanut butter jelly sandwiches that were good for the day. But no, we're like, oh, you know how much time people spend on cooking? I, I never understand, you know, besides the fact. I, I still, I say this almost every, almost, I say this often. What's with the taking of the pictures of the food? They make it pretty and then they snap the pictures. I still don't get it. No one has still, you know, explained it to me. No matter how many times I bring it up and people post it, like, you know, and people get. Visual pleasure. I guess so. I mean, you know, uh, take a picture of a tree or a flower. It also looks good. 
So, <laughs> so I, I, <coughs> I guess so. You can't eat it, so it's more like a tease. Be like, oh, you like this? It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, you'll never have it. It's $500 a steak. So, but in any case, so um, if you think about it, it makes no sense. Why are humans not content? Why are we not happy with what we have? And you think about it, uh, um, you, you, it, it's explained like this with this uh, little uh, parable, this little story, that there was once, um, there was once a, a group of bandits, and they weren't successful thieves. You know, they didn't, they didn't do well in their, in their line of business. So they met a meeting, they made a board meeting, and they, you know, a parliament meeting, and, and they're like, guys, listen, you know, we're going bankrupt. You know, we, you know, we can't, we, you know, it's not working well. We have, to, we have to branch out into other parts of, you know, of, you know business. So they're thinking, they're like, what's, what's a lucrative business? So they're thinking, one guy, you know, he's like, he's like, I hear kidnapping is pretty good these days. So they're like, they're like, good idea. Kidnapping is good. So they're like, all right, what are we going to, who are we going to kidnap? Well, it says, well, you know, if we're kidnapping someone, might as well go for the top. You know, why, why settle for short? The prince, the princess, you know, the prince, you know, the king has got money. And uh, he says, but, but we like the princess. He's like, yeah, we're not going to hurt the princess. We're just going to kidnap her, get the money, and bring her back. You know, shalom alaykum, everything's going to be nice. <laughs> so they decide, you know what, good plan. And they decide they're going to work out this, but they're not going to do just any kidnapping. They're going to they're going to work it out to the teeth. And they go and they spy out on the princess, and they, they, they schedule out her whole day, and she sees she does everything according to schedule. Finally, you know, they see where the best part where they pick is that every afternoon she takes a walk in the king's gardens. And, uh, you know, he's like, they're like, this is the part that she's alone. It's right near the forest. We can do it over here. So they go and they, uh, they arrange everything. They arrange the getaway car. They arrange a getaway wagon, whatever it was. And they arrange everything. And they come and they're, in the, and they're a hideout and the princess walks in. They get what was back then chloroform. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was over there, they grab her, they, they, they gag her, they put her, they, they put a sack over her head, they tie her up and they throw her in the wagon and they, they run away. And they go to the hideout. They put her. They put her in the chair. They lock her up, and they, you know, they, you know, take off her man, take off her, her, uh, you know, all her, you know, face coverings, whatever you want to call those things. And um, they see that she's crying. She's boiling crying. She says, "No, no, no, princess, my dear princess, don't worry about it." She says, "We're not going to hurt you. So this is going to be your most pleasant kidnapping ever. You know, we just, we're just going to send stuff for some, for a ransom note. Your father's going to send them money. You know, we're going to send you right back. We're not going to touch. You're going to have five star kidnapping. Trust us." So. She's like, you know, she's like, she's like, what do you want? You know, she's begging, please, whatever you want. It's like, don't worry, we're not going to hurt you. So she sees that they're sincere, they're serious. They're like, you know, fine. She gets caught, she calms down. One guy, but she's still crying, she's still sad. So one of the guys says, you know what, maybe she's hungry. So, you know, these guys didn't have much money. So, you know, so they go into the back to see what they have in the kitchen. And they find this loaf of bread, you know, only a week old, practically fresh out of the oven. And they said, let's give her this loaf. And they said, you know, all right, that's a good idea. So one guy goes, sits, and he picks off all the mold, you know, makes it nice and look good. And uh, they present her, my dear princess, please have, have a delicious loaf of bread. And she's like, you know, she feels bad. She's like, okay, thank you, you know, and she takes a bite out of it. And then she takes a bite and she spits it out. She's like, she's like almost going to vomit. And she's like, what's going on? Well, what's with this, uh, you know, what's with this loaf? And he's like, what, what are you talking about? Says, she says, uh, you know, it tastes, you know, first of all, it's hard. And so this toast, why is it so? And they're like, and he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's practically fresh out of the oven. So they're like, what's with all the holes? He's like, he's, he's like, I picked off all the mold myself. And she's like, did you say mold? And he's like, he's like, yeah, but you, it's clean now. And she, everything that she ever had in her stomach just came right out. And, and they're like, oh, what's wrong with this princess? She doesn't like a good, he's like, all right, whatever. Maybe she doesn't like bread, gluten-free, I don't know. So they go and uh, they decide, okay, let's, you know, we'll, we'll give her something else. And, um, they decide that they are, you know, she likes, she always goes and walks on the, on the, in the, in the, you know, the gardens. 
we'll, we'll get her some roses, we'll get her, we'll get her some flowers, we'll present her with some flowers. So they go, and they pick up some roses, pick up some flowers, and they present her the, uh, this, this beautiful bouquet. And, uh, she's like, you know, she feels bad, she smiles, she grabs the bouquet, and she, and suddenly she drops it, she's like, what, you, she's like, there's thorns and everything over here. And he starts bleeding, and they start bending her, they're like, oh my god, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're peasant hands, you know, peasant hands are like, you know, pieces of wood. So, you know, it's old, you know, I'm sorry, my dear princess. They're like, you know what, they feel bad. We'll do something else for you. you. You like a nice view? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. So come, come with us. We have a lake nearby over here. It's a beautiful view. They go, they bring her to the lake, and, you know, the lake, it was windy, and there's wind there, and, you know, there was a lot of birds near the lake, and they were doing their bowel movements, you know, the situation going on. And, you know, and meanwhile, you know, the leaves are smacking her face, and they're like, beautiful view, right? And the birds, you know, she's trying to dodge all the, you know, the, the, the bird presents that are getting delivered. And, and, and she's like, she's like, yeah, yeah it's beautiful, but can we, can we, can we go back in? They're like, you don't like this, uh, this, uh, beautiful scenery? And she's like, no, 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 it's beautiful, I, you know, I'd just rather be inside. I'm like, fine. And they look at her, and then she starts crying again. They're like, guys, what's going on? First of all, what's wrong with this princess? She's denying all the greatest pleasures that we have to offer. So they say, you know what? Um, let's, uh, you know, maybe she needs music. Back in the day, in the, you know, the palace, she gets music every day. She's got the violinist. So the one guy says, you know what? I'll be the drums. You know, I found, he found some makeshift drums. And there's another guy who found some old guitar, and he says, I'll be the, the guitar. And they said, you know what? We're missing just one thing for making a band, and that's alcohol. Because every alcohol, the more alcohol, the more you think you can sing. So they have a few lachaims, they're, they're chugging down some lachaims, and, um, and uh, they start singing for her. This guy's banging on the drums, this guy's playing guitar, and they're all singing on top of the lounge. In their mind, they're like, this is awesome. They're like, too bad, it can't be recorded. And, and, you know, after two minutes, they look at her, and she's crawling and withering in pain, covering her eyes, like, please stop, please stop. They're like, music you don't like either? What do you like, woman? You know, and then she goes, and you can't, there's no pleasing this one. So... This is the example. This, this princess is our soul. We go with our body. And what do we do with our body? We say, okay, you know what you're going to be happy with? You're going to be happy with this. And we give it this pleasure. And then we're not just happy anymore. We want more in life. And says, so, you know what? You need more money. And then you need this. And you need more pleasures. You need faster cars. You need this. You need nicer this, nicer this, nicer this. You keep, they keep on throwing more and more pleasures at, this, at, this, uh, at, at our body. And guess what? The body is not happy. It's keep on looking for more. It wants more. They're like, no, it's not. I'm not content yet. And you know what? We want to know why you're not content? Because we're feeding it the wrong thing. The princess, you know what she needs? She needs a good meal. She needs good music. She goes, we're feeding the body the, the stale bread. And we're wondering why we're not happy in life. We're feeding our, our, our body the, the worst views possible. And we're like, you know, smacking with bird poop flying everywhere. And we're wondering why we're not happy in life. Because you're, 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 not, you're not giving the top of the line, the top quality thing. Top of, of the line products. Says the, the um, exp- goes on and explains as follows. It says that, you know, uh, you know why we're never satisfied? Humans are never satisfied. You know what? I don't know why. God gave that to us for a purpose. It says, because if you're not going to be satisfied, you're going to keep on searching. And God says, I want you to search until you find it. And you know when you'll find it. That guy, Charles, that guy, Chaim, he found it. He found it after a long search. The search is that the soul yearns for more. The soul yearns for getting close to God. And that is the greatest pleasure possible. And that is all that the soul wants. And we'll finish off with this, um, with this idea because uh, it is getting late and I have a few more minutes. So, when you think about it, Everything that we do in life is for the pursuit of pleasure. We, every decision that we make, is this going to give me more pleasure or less pleasure? You go to college. College is not fun for most people. Why do you do it? So you can get a job. You go and you want to build a relationship. A relationship is hard. It's hard work. Why do you do it? Because you feel like it's going to be worth it at the end of the day. We sacrifice pain now for greater pleasure later. This is the idea. The, you, you know the, what's the difference between uh, happiness and pleasure? Happiness is a state of mind. Pleasure is, a, is, is, is an actual action that can, may or may not lead to happiness. And I'll give you an example. 
Somebody's having an affair. An affair might be pleasurable, but it's not going to lead to happiness. The person's going to be feel disgusted and this and terrible afterwards. So not all pleasurable acts actually lead to, to, to happiness. The purpose in life, you want to know the purpose in life we started for? The purpose in life is to have pleasure. Yeah, it is. God said this is the, and in fact, there's a Gemara in Talmud, it is in Talmud Yerushami, in the fourth chapter in Kiddushin, I believe, that says that God will judge you if you had a good fruit that you were able to eat and you didn't eat it. God will judge you for that. Why didn't you eat my delicious fruit? God could have gave us bland, everything bland. Everything could have been just great gook from the future that you just eat it to survive. Why is an orange so citrusy and so delicious? You have to peel it and, a, and, a, and then you have an apple and a banana. You have all these different variants. Why did God give you that? You know why? So you can enjoy it. So you can enjoy life. If you enjoy life the kosher way, you enjoy life over here and you'll even more so enjoy life in the next world. This is, a, the, but the idea is, you know, you think about it, Christianity. Christianity, and not all, you know, them, because there's 40,000 different types of them, but there's a big chart, a part of them that, you know what they say? They say, the, the idea is like this, if it feels good, stop doing it. And in fact, the whole idea of, of them having relations is, is an animalistic act. For us, in the Jewish world, it's Kiddushim, it's holy, it's something spiritual. For them, it's, oh, it's disgusting. That's why the priests and the nuns and all the holy people are celibate. Why? Because they want to kill out of all the holy people. All the smart people are going to just die out, and there's no continuation of the line. <laughs> they feel all that. Then you look at the opposite end of the spectrum. Who's on the opposite end of the spectrum? The secular people. Specula- secular people, the hedonistic uh, uh, ideology, which means this, they will chase every <laughs> single pleasure that they have possible, like the guy Charles did in the beginning of the, of the, of the shul. What is the Judaism play? What does the Judaism hold? The Judaism takes the Miller path. It says, yes, you're supposed to have pleasure in life. You are. You're supposed to get, but there's kosher pleasure, and the kosher pleasure the good, is the best thing that you're going to ever, ever experience. If you're able to do that, you will have the best pleasure possible. Let's wrap it up with, with, a, with a, just a, a quick uh, you know, review because it's getting late. You, we, we started off with what is the purpose of life? You know, what is the purpose of life? It's definitely not money. It's definitely not, you know, we went through all those things and it's definitely not anything. The purpose of life is to get the ultimate pleasure. But don't get mistaken. It's like someone serving you, inviting you to a very, very expensive, uh, you know, fancy restaurant is going to serve you a four course meal. They bring out the entrees and you're like, wow, this is delicious. And you're eating all these entrees and then, you know, you're full after the entrees. And, uh, you're like, well, you know, thank you very much. And you get up to leave and the guy says, what's going, you know, what are you talking about? You know, there's so much more going on over here that, you know, you, this, there's no more, three more courses. Don't get lost by the entrees. It's not entrees. What's the word they use for, for the first course? Appetizers. Appetizers, thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. So, anyways. So, um, uh, and I'm not a foodie. So, the, he, he gets lost in the, in the appetizers. God says, you know, you have so much pleasures in this world, but those are just appetizers. Don't get lost. Save it for the main course. The main course is unbelievable. The main course is if you take every single pleasure possible ever created, ever had in this world from the beginning of time to the end of time, it's not even come close to one minute of pleasure in the next world. And this is something that we need to think about. If this is our goal in life, and this is our goal and granted, there are many goals in life. I just want to clarify that. It's not just that, that there's goals that we are, we are here to fix our tikkun amidotav, you know, fix our character traits. is what the, the Vilna Gon says. I'm talking about the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for the ultimate pleasure. And the ultimate pleasure is going to be in the next world. And when you come up to the next world after 120, God's going to be like, you ready? And you're like, oh yeah, I live my life waiting for this. I live my life because this is what I know what, it, what, it, what it's all boiling down for. And this is what God wants from us. God wants for us. You want to get the great, as a father loves a child, just wants the best for us. And if you want the best, you want, you don't, I don't want you settling for everything else but the best. And that is the idea behind the Torah mitzvot. The more that we keep the Torah, the more that we keep the mitzvot, the greater that we're going to have pleasure in this world and pleasure in the next world. Any questions? No questions. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.